So anyway, meet with God um, in his word is what we're going to talk about, um, talk about today. Um, so just when we're looking at the word, and number one in our notes, everyone looks into the Bible through a lens. We all look through the Bible with a lens. Where do you get that lens? Um, you often get it in childhood. Um, you often just um, get the lens in, and after you accept Christ, you know what takes place. You just kind of migrate to different lenses. Um, but everybody operates through a lens when they look uh, through the Bible. And you can tell that they operate through a lens because it's kind of all they talk about. Um, just a couple of different lenses that we're looking at. You got a doctrine lens. I mean, we know those people. It's like, you know, well, this is what the doctrine is. This is what the teaching is. And you talk about doctrine, 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 doctrine. And these people, you know, are the people that like to debate. These people like to, well, what's your belief? What's your belief here? What's your belief here? What's your belief here? And, and every time you talk to them, they're talking about, about doctrine. And just go through them, do these fast. Behavior is another one. You know, it's like we got it. The Bible's all about behavior. Everything you read in the Bible centers around behavior. If you're not living a righteous life, then, then you're a nobody, you know, um, that are, uh, then you're doing it wrong. So every time they open up the Bible, through this lens, they're seeing behavior, behavior, behavior. A lot of churches have migrated that way because a lot of preachers are going off of what? They're preaching about behavior. It's all about behavior. It's all about leaderships. It's all about concepts. It's all about loving your wife. It's, everything's about behavior. And, uh, and many people read their Bible through that. Problem is if you're looking through a lens of doctrine, those people can become argumentative, become confrontational. Um, they can become mean because it's like you have the wrong doctrine. Then it creates disunity in churches, and we've seen that take place through the years. Um, not that doctrine's bad. Doctrine's good. In fact, I love the word doctrine. But if that's your ultimate lens, then it, it messes you up. If behavior's your ultimate lens, then you become what? You become proud. And the only way that um, you can be a good person is to put somebody else down. Because if you could put somebody else down, it does nothing more than raise you up. So if the Bible is all about behavior, which many uh, stages it is, it's just like, this is all about behavior. You know, you get, uh, you get the concepts of a proud people, you get judgmental, you get disgust. It's like, you know, I'm following God. Why can't other people get with it? You know, that's just kind of those things. And we approach the Bible, and when we read, it's, it's reading about how do I behave? What do I need to do? Um, blessings and prosperity you know it's another lens we just look through the Bible's all about blessing the Bible's all about prosperity this would I say the um, uh, Africa lens you know it's if if they are good in their behavior do you know what will happen to them in Africa they will actually get to the United States because heaven is in the United States. So they're trying to get, well, if I can give, then I get. If I give, I can get. And and United States is where I want. It's like, you guys reading the same Bible we're reading? You know, it's not about prosperity. Yeah, but it says if you give money, God gives you money. It doesn't say if you give money, God gives you money. Where does, where, where does it say that? You know, so, but people, that's their lens they look through. And I've been trying to break this lens uh, for so many different years. For God so loved the world that he gave money no he gave his only begotten son i mean but that's the lens they're just absorbed through and it's a cultural lens that it's absorbed through and we can see an american area of where our lens are we can definitely do behavior doctrine or, diff, or the other one is, is prophecy in times so what do these person look like and every time you talk about the bible what does the person talk about politics <laughs> person talks about end times i mean it's the discussion is is always there so you can see the people, when they're reading the Bible, you can see that the lens that they're looking through when they're seeing the Bible, when they look into that lens, that's what comes out. That's what they talk about. That's what they think. And the scary part about the lens of, of, uh, 
of end times is people have rewritten the entire Bible because of the belief on the end times. I mean, it's just, they just reword everything because oh, I, I believe this on the end times. We don't even know. I mean, so many people disagree what's taking place in the end times, but it actually is turned around and fixed their entire Bible because that's all they think about is the end times when they read the Bible. Um, a lens of, of healing. Um, in other words, churches can easily get consumed with the concept of healing because people want to be healed. So what do they do? They come to the church to get healed and the charismatic, charismatic movement is driving this forward in regards to if you want to be healed, this is what you need to do. Step one, step two, step three. And you know, these things need to happen. God wants to heal you. And if he doesn't, it's because you didn't have enough faith or you didn't have enough this or you didn't have enough this. And, and, and what happens is that if preachers are pushing that People are going to think that that's what the Bible is about. They just are. So when they read the Bible, they're going to read the Bible through that lens. Um, I put this one, it's more of a narrowed down, one down, but God's sovereignty. I mean, God is a sovereign God. And it, it's just, it, gets, it can get so huge that it encompasses absolutely everything. And if it encompasses everything, you're going to miss the main point of the Bible. Because you are supposed to look at a Bible through one lens, but it's none of those. No matter what, we're going to look through the Bible lens, which one is it? And we can look at that, and that can confront us easily, say, oh yeah, I guess I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. But what is the lens that we're supposed to look through the Bible with? Number two, look into the Bible through the lens of the gospel. Everything takes place if you look at it through the lens of the gospel. Did you know that there is one book on this planet that addresses every single emotion throughout everybody? I mean, I mean, one book, not two, one. And there's one book in this Bible that can help with every single emotion if you have an negative emotion, just one book, not two, just, just one. Do you know what that book is? It's, it's the Bible. It addresses absolutely every single emotion that every person has. The Bible addresses all science, literally even through the gospel. How does it address science through the gospel? God created the world. The same God who created the world sent Jesus himself to the world. And all of a sudden, we see the creator relate to us. Just answers all these different questions. We see the creator explain to us who he is through the gospel. We see how much we're loved. We see how much, we see everything about God. According to Hebrews 1, it says, Jesus is the representation of God. And they, or Jesus is the, oh boy, I gotta say the verse right now. I started it. Jesus is the exact representation of God, exact representation of his being. It's not representation. Jesus is the exact representation of his God and exact representation of his being. It's not representation. Representation is another word. Exact reflection. Is it reflection? He's the exact Reflection of God and exact representation of his being. Close, I shouldn't have even brought it up, but that's where it's at. Hebrews 1, what does God look like? He looks like Jesus. What do we see on the cross? Do we see physical being? No. We see a heart. We see character. We see care. We see love. We see everything from God being proclaimed to us just as on this cross. So when you open up the Bible, look at it through the lens of Jesus. 
you know, I always say the whole Bible is about Jesus, the whole Bible is about Jesus. And the reason why I say that is because the New Testament authors say it. That's exactly what they say. I, I want to do just a sermon of every, all these New Testament authors pointing us back. I mean, Paul, what did he preach? He preached the scriptures. Is that correct? What scriptures? The Old Testament, because the New Testament hasn't been written yet. <laughs> I mean, he preached the Old Testament scriptures. What did he preach in these Old Testament scriptures? That Christ came and Christ was crucified and that Christ rose again. He preached Jesus Christ through the Old Testament scriptures. So uh, the whole Bible is about it. And if you look at it, it will, through the lens of the gospel, everything will fall into place. Everything will fall into place. I had one person um, kind of irritated at me a little bit because he goes, Mike, you've never changed your doctrine. And um, it's like, I haven't. He goes, well, that's arrogance. Because when you study more, you change your doctrine in different areas. And it's like, you know, if you look at it through the gospel, it's hard to change your doctrine because everything just is there. And if it moves out into different doctrines, um, then I can just hang on to those loosely. You know, what's my doctrine on the end times? Well, you know, I have it, but it hold on to it loosely because the gospel is the center. What's the book of Revelation about? Somebody asked me what the book of Revelation is about. What is it? It's the proclamation of Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's who he is. That's what it is. That's the theme of, of Revelation. People know it's about end times. No, it's Jesus coming for his people after he died and rose again. I mean, it's all about the gospel. Um, so if you look at it through the gospel, it's going to break you. It's going to humble you. It's going to move you. It's going to make you. It's going to send you, strengthen you, encourage you, build you, satisfy you. Uh, I mean, it's going to do everything to you. It's the salvation of you. That's what the gospel is. So when you're reading the Bible and you're going to meet with God and you open up the word, what lens are you going to look through? Make it the gospel. I mean, that's my encouragement. Make it the gospel. If I thought I was might be wrong a little bit, I wouldn't tell you to do it. But I don't, I'm not wrong I've read the Bible enough. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Christ. It's all about Christ. And everything you need is that. The Acts, in the book of Acts, they gave what? A message. A message. Jesus came. Jesus died. He rose. He's the answer. And the whole scriptures talk about it. That's all they said. They didn't preach the New Testament. They didn't preach all the doctrines, the different pieces of the New Testament. They didn't have it. It's good that we have it because then we can unfold more things. But the center was that gospel. So when you read the Bible, look through the lens of the gospel. So as we're going to approach this Bible, I just want to you know, approach um, when you open up the book in the morning, because we talked about solitude. When you open up the book in the morning, open it up with these concepts in mind. Number three, read the word as a love letter sent to you from God. I mean, I remember when we were dating, my wife and I were dating. I mean, it's great to talk on the phone but there's something else when the writing comes through that she writes me a letter. I mean, it's, it's just, it carries power. Why does it carry power? Is because you get to keep looking at it. You, you get to know how she feels about it because it's written on paper. It's not like, oh, I felt like saying it, so I said it, then I dropped it. No, it's written on paper, and paper carries this power. Think about this love letter written from you to God. It's going to carry a power. Here's the the passage that all of us know, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have what? Have eternal life. Why is that a popular verse? <laughs> it just 
It's a popular verse because everything is said right in that verse. Everything is said in that verse. Letter A, there are two kinds of people, those who know God's love and those who experience God's love. When we look at the Bible, we think, okay, I need to know the scripture. I need to, I need to know the scripture. What you really need to know is you really need to know one thing, and that is God loves you, and he loves you this much. He came to earth, he died, he rose, he's your answer. That's what you need to, to know. Why do you need to know that? Is because if you believed it, it would go way past your knowledge and into the depths of your heart. That's why you get this word believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Those who believe, confess with your mouth and believe in your life. If you believe in this gospel, the head knowledge is not what you're looking for anymore. You're actually looking for the, uh, the emotional knowledge. Why? Because you want to experience it. Because if you experience it, what takes place with the no? The no becomes fact in regards to experience it. So, open up this book and say, this is a love letter written from God. I want to not only know him, his love, I actually want to experience his love. You might think, well, how do you experience uh, God's love? It's a lot more simple than you think it is. I mean, have you ever come to God and said, God, I messed up. I am sorry. Please forgive me. I need to be washed. And then all of a sudden you, you read this word and, and the things throughout the word, a, a statement that if you don't believe that you're washed, then you do not believe that I am the King of kings and Lord of lords who died on the cross. You are mocking me if you don't believe that you're washed clean. All of a sudden it's like, oh my goodness, I don't have an option. I have to believe I'm forgiven <laughs> because I am mocking God when I, I, I don't say I'm not forgiven. Do you know how many people are going to hell because they think the roof will fall if they walk in the church. Oh, God can't forgive me. God can't forgive me. What are you doing? You are mocking the cross and saying your cross is absolutely worthless, Jesus. Your cross did not complete anything for me. My sin is way beyond everything that, that you say it is. But when you read the Bible and you start to believe it, all of a sudden you're experiencing it. Like, God, please forgive me of my sin. And you, you, you feel it. God has let it go. Does that mean he won't discipline me? No. He says a father disciplines a son. So all of a sudden you're getting nervous thinking, okay, forgive me of my sins. God, hopefully you're going to discipline me here because I, I want you to make sure that you're my father. And I believe that you're my father, but I want to feel you being my father. And I feel loved more when I'm disciplined than when I'm not disciplined. All of a sudden what we're doing is we're walking through life with God. And experience it. And then you look in the book of Psalms and watch how David relates to Psalms and, and you're feeling it. You know, all those words, they're, they're there to have an impact on you, to literally embrace you and feel that love. Charles Spurgeon says, the Bible is a letter sent to us from heaven, signed by God, dictated by the Holy Spirit and sealed with his blood. Letter B, uh, God's word must go deeper than the eye and way beyond the brain. It needs to penetrate the heart, make the heart weep. I mean, have you ever read scripture and, and, and teared up? <laughs> have you ever read scripture and, and cried? Uh, there was one time that, um, that I felt messed up, and I, I shouldn't even confess this sin because, uh, um, not sin, it's not a sin, but um, 
um, because everybody probably reacted different. Um, but my wife did not want to watch The Passion of Christ, um, but I wanted to watch The Passion of Christ. And I heard there was an extremely emotional, emotional movie watching Jesus being crucified. And, um, and I went into a theater all by myself and sat all by myself and watched The Passion of Christ. And, um, and it was, it was a really rough, brutal movie. And uh, after I watched the entire movie, um, tears were just everywhere um, inside, inside the theater. And, and I wasn't crying. And I'm like, God, am I messed up? These are the words I said, God, am, am I messed up? Because I just watched The Passion of Christ and, and I'm not crying. <laughs> and I'm a pastor. <laughs> and and it, it carries a power and it carries a glory. Why am I not crying? So I actually felt... I felt guilty after I walked out of why was I not emotionally moved? Um, I don't feel guilty any longer. And the reason why is because, and this is embarrassing, I will read the Gospels and just start just crying. <laughs> it, it, it just, I mean, I, 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 I get it when I'm reading the Bible, but I didn't get it on the screen. And so I'm evaluating myself. Why didn't I get it on the screen, but I get it there? And I, the evaluation that I've had, you know, and if you cried during the Passion of Christ, that's, that's, that's not, there's not an issue with that at all. I'm just trying to relate on how I work and how I function. Is when you tap into my heart, that's when my emotions go. And through the word, written in the word, it, it's, I didn't see it. I actually just felt it. I saw his character, I see his love, I see his embrace. I, see, I don't see the blood, I don't see, I don't see the gore, the blood, the gore is there, but it just, it, just, it takes me, it, it owns me, it moves me, it, it makes me, it carries this, carries this power, and it should make the heart weak. We are emotional people, and taps into every single emotion the Bible does. William Gurnall says the reason why many Poor souls have so little heat for joy in their hearts is that they have so little light of the gospel knowledge, gospel knowledge in their mind. The further a soul stands from the light of truth, the further he must be from the heat of comfort. Charles Spurgeon says, you open up the Bible and it's just like getting next to a heater. It just kind of heats you, completely heats you up, just in a sense that there's so much that's inside of it. Number four, this is another approach to read the word. Read the word for the purpose of listening to God's voice. A lot of people say, you know, I just really get bored reading the Bible. Um, I would understand getting bored reading the Bible if the Bible was a history book. I'd understand reading the Bible if the Bible was an educational tool to put a lot of information in your mind. I'd understand getting bored reading the Bible if you can't conceive the whole Bible, you can't do that, you're looking at trying to understand all these facets and all these pictures. Um, but what happens is that if it is God's voice, it's gonna change your perspective when you read the Bible. Every time I open it, I'm like, God, do you wanna talk to me now? <laughs> I mean, that's, this is kind of my statements I make right with prayer. God, do you want to talk to me now? God, I look forward to what you're going to have to say to me right now. Nobody else is here. Nobody's paying attention. It's just you and me. You know what? It's going to be applicable. It's going to be rich. It's going to be good because God doesn't want to hide his will from you, nor does he want to hide it from me. He's going to talk to me now. 
He doesn't want to hide his love from you, and he doesn't want to hide his love from me. You open the word, God's going to say something. What is it? In fact, I even have write down in my notes every once in a while, it's not my preaching notes, but my, my journal notes, what did God say this morning to me? And it's just amazing the power of what God said. You know, a lot of times it's just like, God says, don't worry about it. You know, I'm stressed about this, I'm stressed that. After I read the scripture, it's like, I felt like God just said, don't worry about it, because it's said right here in the book of Psalms that he has all the power. You know, whatever he says in the passage, don't try to think of something from the sky. Whatever he says in the passage, it's God speaking to you. First Thessalonians 2.13. And for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received from us the word of God's message, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. This is what it really is, the word of God. Listen, O people, to my instructions, incline your ears to the words of my mouth. This is the best quote. You probably heard me read it before, but if I had one quote to choose, this is my quote, Charles Spurgeon and, and uh, and I know that many of you have heard it before, but I just have to read it again. The Bible is the writing of the living God. Each letter was penned with the almighty finger. Each word in it dropped from the everlasting lips. Each sentence was dictated by the Holy Spirit. Even though Moses was employed to write his histories with a fiery pen, God guided that pen. It may be that David touched his harp and let sweet psalms of melody drop from his fingers, but God moved his hand over the living strings of his golden heart. It may be that Solomon sang songs of love or gave for the words of wisdom, but God directed his lips and made the preacher eloquent. If I follow the thunder in Nahum when his horses plowed the waters, or Habakkuk when, a sea, uh, when, the sea, when he sees the tents of Cushan in affliction, if I read Malachi when the earth is burning like an oven, if I turn to the smooth pages of John who tells of love or the rugged fiery chapters of Peter who speaks of his fire devouring God's enemies, if I turn to Jude, who launches forth anthems from upon the foes of God, everywhere I find God speaking. It's God's voice, not man's. The words are God's words, the words of the eternal, the invisible, the almighty, the Jehovah of this earth. The Bible is God's Bible, and when I see it, I seem to hear a, word, a voice springing up, up from it, saying, I am the book of God, man, read me. I am God's writing, open my pages. For I have penned by God, read it, for he is my author. And you will see him visible and manifest everywhere. Rob yourself of sleep before you rob yourself of the word. Letter A, the Bible does not stand alone, God comes with it. When it comes to... Um, the Bible, or when it comes to Christ, um, he said, it is good for me that I'm leaving. As a result of it being good for him why he's leaving, what's gonna take place? The Holy Spirit is going to come and testify everything about what Jesus said. Well, what did everything Jesus said? Everything Jesus said is where? It's, it's in the Bible. That's where it's at. The Holy Spirit is penned by God. With the Holy Spirit, or the, the Bible is penned by God with the working of the Holy Spirit into your life when you open up its pages. Martin Luther said, to me, the Bible is alive. It speaks to me. It has feet. It runs after me. It has hands. 
and it lays hold of me. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.5, for our gospel did not come to you in word and only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. The Bible has not come to you in just word. Three things are mentioned. It comes in power, comes in the Holy Spirit, and it comes conviction. It's not just a book. Number five, read the word with the expectation of having your five senses touched. I um, went to a doctor, a doctor that's in our church, and he does uh, um, uh, more of a health, you know, in regards to um, eating um, and those things. A nutrition doctor is, is what she is. And um, so she put this um, monitor on me. It's a glucose monitor, and it's, it's, um, it uh, costs 120 bucks, and you, you pull it out, and you put it into a can, and then you pull it back out. And I looked at it, and there's a little needle at the bottom of it, and it says, pop this can into you and it will just inject that needle into you really fast and then you leave it in there for 14 days. And I, I freaked out when I looked at that needle. I'm like, what in the world? I'm not gonna put that into my skin. And, and then all of a sudden I hit it and it ejected and, and then I ruined it, 120 bucks. She goes, Mike, don't play with it. Just stick it on, you won't even feel it. So she gave me another one. So, so I put it on the back and bam, it just popped. And I, did, I didn't even feel it, but then I had this needle in my arm and, and then you take your phone and, and you put it on an app and then you go like this and it reads your monitor and it gives you your glucose. And uh, do you know what happens when you eat a candy bar? Oh my goodness, the thing, just, the thing just flies. And she told me the numbers that it needed to be because whenever you eat you know, something sweet or something like that, it will go up, but then it will just go down. It will go up, and then it will go down. It will go up, it will go down. Whenever you eat, that's what takes place. Um, but uh, um, I tell you, I was, I was completely um, shocked with what I was doing to my system by eating stuff that is not healthy. And she had to give it to me. It just drives me crazy she had to give it to me because now I feel guilty eating anything because I know what's going on with my blood sugar. It just, it just goes up uh, uh, skyrocketing. But as you're, as you're looking um, at it, she's like, you've got to get off of sugar, read your monitor, and see what it does to you. You can eat a whole bunch of good things, which I do, and I ate a lot, and it didn't go up. But you eat sugar, you eat candy, all that stuff, it's going to go through the ceiling in regards, in regards to my health. So I've been trying to get off sugar. I'm a druggie. I am. I, I mean, I, I've never really tried, you know, I've gotten off sugar every once in a while, but I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a mess. I mean, I just sit there and I'm like, you know, life is flat. You know, I need some sugar, you know, just, just, just in those things. I, I need, I need a, a fix of sugar. I didn't know how dependent I was on it. And, and the reason why it's hard to get off of sugar is because if you eat sugar a lot, it doesn't carry much power. So we eat sugar a lot to try to get its power, and that's what you call an addiction. But if you get off it for one week, you eat just a little, oh, it goes right to your head. I mean, it carries, it carries power, it carries weight. I mean, that's the way I understand drugs now, how, how things are supposed to work. But, um, but the senses carry so much weight, they carry so much power, and you desire them, you, you want them. You look at this note, I, I said, the Bible should be touching all your senses, all five of your senses. What do you mean it should be touching your senses? I mean, that's a, that's a body thing. Ezekiel 3, 1 through 3 says this, that he said to me, son of man, eat what you find. Eat this scroll, which is the words written by God. Then I ate it, and it was sweet as honey in my mouth. It's an interesting concept. 
Well, it's a concept that's repeated three different times. I just have one more time repeated in Jeremiah. Thy words were found and I ate them. Thy words became for me a joy and a delight to my heart. Psalms 119, how sweet are the words to my taste. Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I'm, I'm savoring it in my body. I'm taking it in my body. Second Corinthians 2, more senses are being touched in regards to reading the word. But thanks be to God who always leads to us a triumphal procession in Christ through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of God. What is fragrance? It's the smell. <laughs> I mean, it's, ah, oh, the knowledge of God. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are the smell of death. To the other, the fragrance of life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity like men sent from God. God speaks our language in Scripture. And we are a people who have five senses. And I know what sugar does to me. And I like what sugar does to me. Can the word do it? Can the word carry it? Can the word have that power? I mean, we understand the complete concept that you smell like death. Well, what does that smell like? You know exactly what it smells like because you know people that smell like death. I mean, I talked to somebody last night. It's like, you know, my house has been breaking, broken in five times and they just have stolen everything. And, and they're just tearing up is even as they're talking about the, what's going on in their life. It's like somebody and their behavior smells like death and they feel it. Somebody in the behavior, can you smell like life? We know what we're talking about. We know the people that smell like life, an aroma of somebody. It's like, you know what? I needed those words of encouragement. I needed those words of, of affirmation. I needed those words. Of, I mean, we, we hunger for that. We long for this. We are emotional people. Well, the word carries it so full, words of affirmation. The word carries words of assurance. How many of us are living in fear and living with anxiety? I don't know what's going to happen in this world. Well, open up the Bible. There's words of assurance. It's, it's an aroma that, that fills you, aroma that, that takes you. Whenever the aroma takes you, what does it do with the other senses? Well, well then you, you want to you feel it. What do I mean by feel it? You want to put it into action. You want, since it spoke to you, you want to speak you want to speak to them. Since it was an aroma to you and you felt it the way it was, you want to be an aroma to them. See, the word is active and living and sharp. It's not something you just, eh, I just open up and read it because I, I have to read it. God wants to take hold of all your senses as you read it. He wants to captivate you. He wants to take you. He wants to guide you. He wants to send you. He wants to move you. Letter A, it's not enough to hear a promise. You need to see it. You need to taste it. You need to feel it. You need to inhale it. You know, when it comes to a wedding, what takes place in a wedding? A list of promises. I promise to this, I promise to this, to cherish you, to love you, to take care of you in sickness and health. I promise, I promise, I promise, and everybody's up there saying, this is so beautiful, look at all the promises. But how many people in marriage aren't feeling those promises? They're not feeling those promises. What are those promises? 
Those promises are nothing but mockery to you. Because somebody lied to you. Somebody doesn't care about you. You have to feel a promise or it's not a promise. It's just words. I mean, you don't just take a promise. Jesus is coming back someday. No, you, gotta, you have to feel that. Look at this world and it's just a mess. But when you look at the world, you look through the lens of Scripture saying Jesus is coming back someday. You want to feel it because that's when the promise starts to come alive. Otherwise, it's, it's not a promise at all. You want to taste it. You want to see it. My wife and I have been married for 27 years. And do you know what's joy about our marriage? Is living out our promises that we made when we were in the wedding. I mean, that's, and all of a sudden, 27 years later, we're, our love has grown through the process of being together. Because we just don't make promises we start to live them out. And when we live them out, we, we feel it. We sense it. We see it. We touch it. It moves us. It makes us. It builds us. All of a sudden, this one flesh is different and more powerful and more strong than it was during the five-year piece of marriage. You know, we said we're one flesh right here, right when we got married, but the one flesh is richer. Why? Because we're sensing it. We're feeling it. We're tasting it. Number six, uh, read the Bible with the expectation of God giving us a revelation of his heart, purpose, love, mission, and direction for mankind. You know, in James it talks about if you look into the mirror and you don't do what it says, you know, uh, you'll forget. If you look into the wor- word of God, and you don't do what it says, like looking your face in a mirror, and as soon as you walk away, you forget what, you forget what it says. Uh, it's, it's the way it is, is that if we put it into action, the word comes alive. If we don't put it into action, the word does not come to life. God wants to send us, he wants to move us, he wants to make us, and those who will follow that will love the word. Those who don't will actually hate the word. Um, John Calvin uh, loved to study. He was not a people person. He just loved to study, and he studied 14 hours a day. I mean, he's just like, I just got to know what this word says. I just got to, I've got to see what this word says. And, and he would understand God through it, and, and that's where his comfort zone was. And all of a sudden, he was convicted one day. He says, you know what? I have to preach. I have to give it out. And the reason why I have to give it out is because God will stop talking to me. God will stop speaking to me. My knowledge will end if I just study. But if I react to what I learn, then my knowledge will increase. And that's John, I mean, John Calvin, part of the Reformation that changed, I mean, the world we live in today and through his study because he chose to preach, not to just read and write, but to preach. We have to look at the word and we have to understand that God wants to share his heart, his purpose, his vision, his mind, and we want to take it. And when we take it, what does he want to do? Well, he wants to take us because he wants to give it out. So he's going to dump more on, more on to you. Psalms 119, 47, 48. And I shall delight in thy commandments, which I love. And I shall lift up my hands, so thy command, uh, hands to thy commandments, which I love. And I will meditate on thy statutes. Number seven, read the Bible with the expectation that it will change your life. If we do read the Bible, it's just, okay, I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna read the Bible and, and it's gonna be good because then I get to check it off my 
my chart, and that's the way that we behave, it's just not going to be that rich. But if you go into it with the expectation of your life being changed, you know what it's going to do? It's going to change it. <laughs> and you're going you're gonna to love it. Because the way that God changes your life is that God will give you his mind, he will give you his heart, he will give you his brains, and then also he will give you himself during the day as you live. I mean, it carries that power. If we approach it with and for that power. Psalm 19, seven through nine. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimonies of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They're righteous altogether. It's not gonna turn void. It's not gonna be empty if we approach it knowing the severity of what we're approaching, the huge, the, the mass, um, the severity of what we're approaching. Eddie Ransack said this, the Bible is not simply a book that we read, it is a book that reads us. What does that mean? That means when you read the Bible, you get to know who you are. <laughs> That's what it means. You open up the Bible and you find out who you are, what you're doing, what, what, what is your priority, what is your motive? What is your aim? What is your, your selfishness? What is your goals? What is your mission? What is your mind? The, the book reads us. And, and, and when we look at it, it gives us a portrayal of who we are. And as it gives us a portrayal of who we are, what are we supposed to do about it? Oh my goodness, I need to change. Oh my goodness, I need to do. Oh my goodness, I need to go. I need to make, I need to, all of a sudden a changing takes place um, as we're reading it and as it is reading us. Letter eight, read the word as if it was a dynamic encounter with the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, you look at the word through the gospel and when you see that gospel, your belief is gonna increase and watch out when your belief increases on that gospel because it seems like everything changes when your belief increases on that. The word is what is proclaiming it and when we read the word, have expectation to receive something large from it. If you look at the word all the way through scripture, it says, this is the power of what the word carries. Letter A, the word of God is penetrating sword. We see that in Ephesians 6, 17 and Hebrews 4, 12. The word is a reflecting mirror of life. The word is the burning fire of conviction. The word is a pounding hammer which crushes, and hard, the, crushes the hardness of man's heart. The word is a reproducing seed of the new birth. The word of God is the nourishing food of the believer. The word of God is a guiding light to the believer. The word of God is everything. You know, when we're looking at this book of Ruth, you know, we, we see the gospel, you know, come, come out of the book of Ruth. But we also see in the book of Judges, God changing the world with power, like with Samson with conquering armies, with the pardoning of the Red Sea. We see all this power taking place. If God was going to change the world, his method is the most powerful method you could possibly do. And you know what that method is? The method is to send Jesus down from heaven, live a perfect life, die on the cross, and raise again to change an individual's heart. And if an individual's heart is changed, what's going to take place? 
The whole world's changed. <laughs> if the Red Sea is parted, what's going to take place? The Red Sea's parted. If somebody was healed in America, what's going to take place? Somebody was healed in America. If, if fire was going to come down from the sky and, and a chariot was going to take somebody up into heaven, what's going to take place? Fire came down from the sky and a chariot took somebody up into heaven. But what happens if Jesus left heaven and he came to earth and he died and he rose again and he changed an individual that believed it to the likeness of his son? And the whole world looks different. And do you know what it looks like? It actually looked like heaven. This world would look like heaven. Everything would change. It starts right here in the word pointed to the gospel. It's where it's all at. So when you read it, the challenges are take those, I think there are seven things. Take those seven things that um, as we're approaching the word, hang on to those seven things as you're approaching it in the morning. Do it with expectation. Um, Rich, do you have a microphone? Is Rich out there? Does anybody have questions or uh, comments? Um, it, as you approach uh, the word, kind of what you're talking about with expectation that you're going to get something out of it, um, how long do you wait or, uh, you, you know, react before, you, you know, to what you think God says in the word? Um, I just think of. I have known people, and I've done this myself, that are pretty um, react quickly uh, to, to something that God might say. And I'm just wondering, how long should you wait before you know it's kind of confirmed in your heart? Thank you, Peter, for bringing that up, because that is um, a good question. There's, there's things that where the word is black and white, and it just... It tells you. And there's things of, should I quit my job and go into ministry? Um, should I make this huge life decision? Um, am I following, you know, the wrong direction? And um, so when, when we approach the word, um, I would move it more, we're not even necessarily looking for behavior. What we're looking for is we're looking for God. And the reason why I want to bring that up is because I was called out of my job. God um, uh, called me on my job working for the state of Oregon and uh, brought me here. And, um, and so the things that I got from the word is, and I felt this, do not take a round peg and shove it into a square hole. It's not God's will. And that's what I heard from the word. So God's plan flows. Your plan is crammed. Your plan is managed by you. So I think this is God's plan. And then you start going towards it. And then it's almost like, wait a second, this isn't, this isn't going right. But God told me, God said, and then there's this, this friction that takes place. And you want to know, you know when to react, when to move, when to, okay, I, I got it. How long until, how long until I do it? Um, my answer to that would be stay in the word. <laughs> I mean, 
It could take as long as God wants. And being inside the word would say, now is the time. Um, that I would say, don't, don't make the move and be guided in the word rather than making a decision from the word. And, uh, and that's the concept of, hopefully I gave you the right answer. Do you, you want the microphone again? Hopefully I gave you the answer in regards to um, where to go. Yeah, and I guess the follow-up on that is, uh, you know, and you kind of already answered it, how do we not be self-deceived? Um, I think you kind of already answered that, so. Yeah, and the word, we get self-deceived in our mind. I don't get self-deceived in the word. I mean, I'm, this is me. I, I'm just trying to think of me as a, as a human being. I mean, you know, you ever heard about that guy who says, God, tell me what you want. He takes the pages and he opens it, goes to the pages of scripture, whatever the word says I'm going to do, he opens it up and says, Judas went out and hung himself, you know. It's like, no, it's, that's not the way the word works. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. The word works the way that God literally embraces you in the process of reading your word where you know for assurance. God doesn't give you a, a specific answer. Boom, now it's, now, now it's here. You know, my answer was a job. God says, your answer is not a job. Your answer is to get close to me, and that's all the answer is. And so all of a sudden, I got close to him because of this job, and I kept on getting closer and closer and closer and closer and closer, and I got to the point where I didn't care, you know, if God wanted me in ministry full-time or not. In fact, I dropped it because I had everything I wanted because I just, I just had, I had, I had God. So I, I think there will be, to answer that question, I think there will be clarity when you read the word and your conscience would feel good all the way through, and I think things will run very smooth. And I believe that's the way that God works in regards to, I want you to do this. Um, the hardest, greatest conflicts I've had in the church was off of the words, God told me to do this. Um, that's where conflict takes place. How am I gonna argue with that? You know, God told me he wants me to preach the next sermon rarer than you. How do I argue with that? I mean, God told him that. So how do I, okay, well, let me, you know, you know, it's like, okay, I'm gonna really be human here. It's like, what do you say? But yet we do do that. In fact, we had a, a mission trip. This was years and years ago. Nobody pertains to this trip, so I'm not worried about it. We had a missions trip that the feeling of the spirit was in some of our people. And there was an agenda. So the leader was doing an agenda, going from this place to the next place to the next place, and then three of his people said, God wants me to stay here, and God wants me to pray. It's like, well, we can't split with the group. And, and they didn't know what to do, so they actually called me and said, what do we do? We can't, we're a mess. And God says they want him to stay there. God wants him to have unity. That's what he wants. He doesn't want him to stay there. <laughs> the danger is, is staying there. That's, where do we get that, you know, those kind of pieces? Scripture is black and white with what it says. It doesn't say, you know, um, it doesn't say, it's, it's not open-ended, we'll put it that way. Unity, any decision I make, God probably want unity with it. But what about, you know, the government? The government's saying that we can't evangelize anymore. Well, the Bible's very clear. In the book of Acts, 
you know, it's better to please God than man. Through that, that's answering my specific question right now. So I think we'll get those guidances in those words. All right, one more, one more question. Really, the amount of time and the volume in the word, all it does is just put you closer to God, and it gives you one mind, one heart as you function and as you move and as you walk. And you might make a turn, and as you make a turn, God, I'm going to this direction. Have it in your mind. In fact, I say this prayer all the time. God, slam the door in my face if, the, if I'm wrong. That's a prayer I pray. Slam the door in my face if I'm wrong because I'm not stopping right now and I think this is what you want and I want to know. And I think God's faithful. He'll tell you. So, let's close in a word of prayer. God, thank you that you've chosen to speak to man. And God, thank you that it's in writing. Something beautiful about being in writing in regards to we can approach you anytime we want and hear your voice. God, that carries an awesome power. And I just pray, God, that we go to your word with the expectation of hearing it, knowing that you want to speak to us. Give us your will. Give us your heart. Give us your character. Give us everything you have. I just pray, God, that we be a people that would find it and look for it in your word. We love you in Christ's name. Amen.